Good morning, everyone. My name is Lee Grander. I serve as a pastoral resident here at Park, and it's my joy to be with you this morning and to bring the word of God to you this morning. I hope that you had a Merry Christmas over the last couple, uh, over the last week. We celebrate it sometimes more than just a week, uh, but we hope you had a Merry Christmas celebrating the birth of our Lord, the incarnation of our God in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a joyful time as we think about it uh, for our family uh, to celebrate. We celebrated with family. Uh, We celebrated with the birth of our new son. So our son Wyatt got to experience his first Christmas. So it was good for us. And what was also good was uh, it just started snowing. So it starts to feel a little bit more like Christmas. I don't know about you guys, but for me, Christmas starts to feel like the Christmas season uh, when it's snowing. When obviously we're celebrating Jesus' birth, but also when we're participating in family traditions, Christmas traditions. One of the traditions that Kelsey and I participate in and we've started to make a habit is every Christmas season we go downtown Chicago and make our way to the theater. Some people know this about my wife and I, uh, but some people don't. Uh, We played sports all growing up and even through college. But what people don't know is we actually prefer any ballet or show over a sports game. Uh, There's no shame with that. We love the theater, and this year we got a chance to go to the Nutcracker Ballet, which was a great time, amen, yep. You should see it uh, if you haven't already. But it was also just a great time to be with my wife, uh, to spend time with my precious bride. We are big fans of the theater, and uh, we identify as fans of the theater. So what we do is every year we set aside time We allocate money and we make it a priority to go and literally participate in enjoying the theater. You see, our words aren't just words. We don't say that we're just fans, but our words are followed by action. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to get there. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49, where Jesus will do two things. He warns us from having empty words that are not followed by actions. And then he'll encourage us to continue to do what he says. Now this word I thought was perfect for us this morning is we've just come off celebrating Jesus as Lord. We've celebrated his birth over the Christmas season. And we've sang songs such as Joy to the World, where we sing the Lord has come. We've sung lyrics of, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We've sung, Christ is the Lord, praise his name forever. We've sung, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. This morning is a good word for us as we transition from singing and proclaiming that we don't get left with empty words, but our words are followed by action. This morning, I want to do two things. I want to warn us against singing empty words. And encourage us, the people of God, to continue to do what Jesus says. So my simple big idea this morning is kind of like the Nike slogan, if you are a sports fan. Not just do it, but from our text, Luke 6, 46 through 49. Simple big idea is just do what he says. Just do what he says. For those of you who are able to stand, please do so for the reading of God's word. In God's word, Jesus speaks and says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house 
who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. God, we're expectant that you would speak to us this morning, that we would meet with you, the living God. God, we haven't just come to gather as people, but we've come to have an encounter with you. So we come as humble disciples, humble people before you, and we want to know more about you, Father. We want to know and be instructed in how to act in godliness this morning. So God, would you find us humble this morning, ready to receive your word and not just listen to it, but Father, be transformed by it. So Father, we commit our time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning I want to walk through this text by asking a question back to Jesus. You know, he starts off our text by asking a question of his own. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So my question is, Why should we do what you say? And I think in the text there are three very good reasons why we should just do what he says. The first reason that we should just do what he says is because it doesn't make sense not to. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus is asking this question to a person who calls him Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what he says. You know, it makes sense not to do what Jesus says if you all out reject him or don't believe in him. I'm not encouraging that, and I'm going to argue why you shouldn't in a second, but at least that makes sense. You know, it makes sense when we don't do what Jesus says because we don't care about him or we don't call him Lord. That makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is to affirm him as Lord, to identify with him, and in a sense call ourselves disciples of Jesus himself and not do what he says. In our text, Jesus is wrapping up his famous sermon on the plain where he's been preaching to a a crowd, a great crowd of his own disciples and a multitude of people from all over. He's been teaching people what it looks like to be a disciple. Jesus' teaching has been very specific. He's teaching about a way of life not points to which we just affirm. He has just finished teaching that the disciples of Jesus are, uh, who are truly under the lordship of Christ will have a different value system. We'll have a different type of love, one where we love our enemies. We will not be a people who judge others, but instead we're a people who seek to restore others. Jesus is not after our affirmation but our transformation. Jesus is after us being restored in our relationship with God and with one another. Jesus is after us acting out a love that is unworldly, but oh so godly. It doesn't make sense to affirm Jesus as Lord, Lord, and not do what he says because Jesus' teachings reflect that he isn't simply after our affirmation. Rather, he's after our transformation. It also doesn't make sense not to do what he says when we realize who he is. If we just look back a little bit in, our, in, our, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, 
what Luke has recorded of Jesus, we will see that Jesus says of himself a couple things. He says of himself that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. We'll also see that Jesus has just forgiven a man of his sins. We'll see that Jesus has healed a paralytic, a leper, and others who are sick with various diseases. We'll see, just looking back a little while ago in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus was prophesied about by Isaiah himself. Jesus was also teaching in the synagogues, being glorified by all. Even in the early part of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is being displayed as God himself. Only God could be Lord of the Sabbath, for God created it. Only God has the power to forgive a man his sins. When we recognize who Jesus is, it doesn't make sense not to do what he says. Now, another reason is because uh, for us who have lived on the other side of Jesus' coming, resurrection, uh, we, we know a more full story than what the beginning of Luke has told us. In Philippians 2, uh, 6 through 8, we get a, another story of why we should do what he says. It accounts Jesus and says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus on the cross in all humility died the death we deserve for our sin and rebellion against God. So that by faith we could stand before the Lord God, the true living God, forgiven of our sins and standing in the righteousness of Christ given to us. Jesus is also calling those who don't know him, who don't know the love of Christ to repent and believe and experience his loving embrace. You know, it doesn't make sense not to just do what he says, especially those of us who say, Lord, Lord, when we realize who he is and what he's done for us. Secondly, when we do what he says, we will not be shaken by trials. In verse 47 through 49, if you look with me, it says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house, and it could not, it could not shake it because it had been built well. Church family, if we are a people being transformed by God's word, we will not be crushed when life gets difficult. And the promise is life will get difficult. If we are people not just affirming the word but standing on it, of course by the help of the Holy Spirit, putting God's word into action, we won't be shaken. If we are doing God's word, we will be like the man who builds a house, digging deep to lay a foundation on the rock. So when the trials of life come, we ha what we have built will last. If we have built ourselves up on Christ's word, if we have rooted our identity in Christ, if we lose our job we won't feel like, and we feel like we're losing our identity, we'll remember that our true identity is in Christ, which can never be lost. If we believe the words of Jesus and put them into action, 
if we're building ourselves up based on God's word, we will have found our purpose rooted in glorifying God. And one day when our children have to leave the house and we feel like our purpose is leaving with them, we can remember that our purpose is glorifying God and it happens in all things. When we have our main relational goal to see others restored as Jesus is restoring us, then when others gossip and slander, our coworkers, friends, and family, we won't be people who join in and tearing people down, but we'll seek to build one another up. If we're basing our lives on God's word, we will be rooted in our value and our worth based on the words that God says of us. When we feel worthless and undervalued, we will not be shaken because we will remember that grace, though free, was not cheap. As the old song goes, Jesus paid it all so that you could be set free from sin and the grip of the enemy, that we could be adopted by faith as sons and daughters of God. You guys, the reality is that this is so important and I can't stress it enough. It's important that we stand firm through trials, rooted and built up on God's word because it shows a watching world the glory of God as we trust in him above our feelings and circumstances. But the reality that I'm all too familiar with, and I'm sure you are as well, sometimes when trials come, we do sin. We fall into it where we feel shaken. It's easy to hate your enemies. It's easy to do evil to those who hate you or curse those who curse you. It's easy to judge and, con- and condemn others. So what do we do when trials come and we fall back into sin? Well, I think the beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't call us to be a perfect people. He calls us to be a people in progress, which means we will need to be a humble people. I recognize in my life that I am far from perfect. And what happens is I need a lot of humility, which comes with a lot of repentance. Maybe you can identify with me. Every once in a while, Kelsey and I will be doing some late night work. Uh, We'll be getting stuff done and almost simultaneously we'll look at one another. And we'll realize that we haven't eaten dinner yet. She'll look at me like I'm the one who's supposed to make the dinner for her. And I'll look at her and say, you definitely should make the dinner for me. As a husband, this is where I should give myself up for my wife. As Christ has loved the church, to seek her needs above my own. But I have in the past found myself suggesting quickly that she make me dinner. So that I can continue in what I'm doing. And that I can be fed. When my selfish nature arises, when my selfishness comes out and manifests itself in the midst of trials, when time is crunching and I'm getting hungry, it's easy to give in and act in an entitled way. So what do we do when trials come and we sin? There's an easy answer for this. The first is that we repent, remembering that sin is firstly against God. So we go to the Lord in repentance. Secondly, I would encourage us to seek the one who's been impacted By the effects of our sin, we should go and seek those who are impacted by our sin and apologize. When we humble ourselves and admit that we were wrong, 
when we admit that we hadn't lived up to what God had desired us to live according to. And when we are genuinely committed to not sinning again in that way, we do bring glory to God. Should we continue in sin? By no means, Paul tells us that. But since we are not perfect as people in progress, we need to know how to repent and apologize to others who are impacted by our sin. In the past, when trials have come up and I've given into selfishness rather than serving my wife, I have sought the Lord and repented, asking for God's forgiveness. This is what it might look like. And asked for the Holy Spirit to help me honor and glorify my wife in the future in the way that I treat her. The conversation between me and Kelsey goes a little bit something like this. I say, babe, I have acted out of character. In Christ, I am a man who loves you and will give myself for you. I'm committed first to the Lord and second to you to love you as Christ has loved the church. Would you forgive me? Maybe for you today, you also need to repent for how you've been treating your significant other. Recognizing the way that you have been treating them may not honor and glorify Jesus in your time of trial. Maybe for you, you found yourself gossiping about a coworker, friend, or family member, and you need to repent and seek those who have been impacted by your sin and apologize. Maybe for you, it's fits of anger, driving by yourself or driving with your kids in the back, going down Lakeshore Drive. I know. But maybe we need to apologize to those who are in the car with us. Maybe we need to say to our kids, mommy or daddy, shouldn't have gotten so angry for it didn't bring honor and glory to the Lord. Sin doesn't mean that our house has been shaken, but it's an opportunity to, in humility, repent and reflect God's glory to a watching world. When we sin, it's often the most precise moment when we found out if our house has in fact been built on a firm foundation and if we have truly not been shaken by this trial. It's a time when you either continue to do what Jesus says or flake out and remain unrepentant because you really haven't built your life up on the rock by doing what Jesus had said. So it's important, and I can't stress it enough, it's important for us as believers to be humble and repentant in our times of sin. I want to remind us something that we already know. People will likely not believe in Jesus when we act like we are perfect. Because frankly, people are smart and they're tired of our hypocrisy. People are likely to believe in our witness to Christ when we do what he says. When we are not shaken but trial, and even amidst trial that causes us to sin, we continue to do what Jesus says. We continue to have our house be built on God's rock. On Christ himself, we humbly admit that we are a people in progress, apologize for the impact of our sin, and commit to the Lord and to one another to pursue what God says with the, whole, with the help of the Holy Spirit. If we just do what he says, we wouldn't be shaken by trials. We would stand firm. Thirdly, we should do what he says because we are at risk of wasting our lives. We should do what he says because we are at risk of wasting our lives if we don't. Verse 49 says, But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. 
When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You guys, building a house is hard work. Doing life is hard work. And Jesus reminds us through a warning that if we are people who are building our lives on anything other than his word, it will be a huge waste of time. Everything we affirm, everything that we do will be like a house of cards waiting for the next trial to come and knock it over, to wipe us out. In a famous poem by C.T. Studd, he writes, Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I'll know I'll say t'was worth it all. Only one life. T'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. I think C.T. Studd has captured something so beautiful in his poem. He has captured the importance of getting this life right and making it count. He reminds us that there is only one life we have a chance to get right, and he reminds us that it will soon be past. Most importantly, Stud reminds us, the church, the people of God, that what's done for Christ will truly last. I hope the cry of our hearts would be in line with C.T. Stud as we seek fervently not to waste our lives, but to do the things which last. A few nights ago, Kelsey and I were talking again about the ballet, and all at once it kind of hit me, and I just blurted this thing out. And I believe it's a beautiful illustration of how God desires, uh, what God desires for our life. I was talking to Kelsey, and I blurted out, babe, I think sometimes we treat Jesus like a ballet. I think the great tragedy is that we do treat Jesus like a ballet at times. We go, and when we show up, we love it. Just like we go to church, and when we show up, we sincerely are glad that we went. We go watch the production and affirm the music, the dancing, and the artistry, just like uh, we do when we go to church to affirm the music and the sermon and the artistry of the preacher. We sit in our seats at both the ballet and the church saying, yes, yes, I love this. I'm so glad that I came to watch. We say, I truly got something out of this, but at the end of the day, we just can't put our finger on it. I'm being more convinced that this can happen outside of the church gathering as well. It can, it can be when we just show up for serving or go on mission trips, even in small groups. We can get into this kind of weird routine where we're excited to hear from God. The exquisiteness of the narrative, the letters, and the poetry found in the Bible But just like Kelsey and I did at the end of the Nutcracker Ballet, when it was over, we walked out. And our lives weren't changed or transformed by what we had gone to see. If we treat Jesus like Kelsey and I treated the play, we will waste our lives never experiencing all that God has for us. Jesus has not called us to be disciples who sit in the audience but disciples who are on the stage, in the orchestra, behind the scenes, working together to proclaim to a watching world the glory of Christ Jesus. But just like those involved in the play, there is a lot of work to be done. There's a lot to be learned. 
instructions to be heeded. Think about it. They have to learn the music, the dances, the scene changes behind the scenes so that all the people in one orchestra, in one voice, as one church, in one body, many members, but as one, proclaiming the glory of God to a watching world. What's so cool is that we aren't merely actors in God's grand ballet, but we are inviting others to join to have a spot which God has created them uniquely for. And the privilege that we get is that we get to do it all as we dwell with the creator of everything. The amazing reality is that God has called us into his mission. He has has called us into this mission to see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. To see men and women believe in Jesus as Lord not only with empty words, but with true transformation. God has called us into this mission and has given us instructions, even a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help as we apply and seek to do these instructions. And in layman's term, these instructions are simply just do what he says. Church, this morning, I just want to leave us with two things. A warning against empty singing singing empty words, and with an encouragement for the people of God to continue doing what God says. The warning. It simply doesn't make sense to call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he says, especially when we know who he is. For Jesus truly is the Lord, who has humbled himself, entered humanity for both God's glory and for our good. If we don't do what Jesus says, we will be wasting our lives, building even great things, but things that won't last. The encouragement. When we do what Jesus says, we will not be shaken by life's trials, but rather, even in trials, we will be able to stand firm, bringing the glory to God and proclaiming to a watching world that doing what Jesus says is worthy of our commitment It's worth our lives because of who he is. In doing what Jesus says, we will take hold of the life which is truly life, the life I am encouraging and hope to be encouraging you to today. We get the opportunity to proclaim to a watching world that Jesus has made a place specifically for you, specifically for me, and specifically for everyone that would come by faith that would join in following Jesus, heeding his words, there's a place in the grand story of redemption for them. Church, let's simply keep doing what Jesus says, worshiping him for he is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you would have met us wherever we are, Father, we're all at different places in our walks with the Lord, and God, we desire to continue to follow you, Jesus. You have revealed yourself in the incarnation, in the person of Christ. You have broken into humanity to reveal yourself and to call people to yourself. This morning, Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that we wouldn't just be a people who sing songs calling you, Lord, But God, we pray and we ask for your help that we would be people who just do what you say. We love you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name this morning.